Good morning. This is Pastor Greg Ely, campus pastor for the South Kansas City campus of Colonial Presbyterian Church. Um, today we're going to continue into John uh, chapter 11. We began last week with Pastor Jim finishing it off chapter 10, and we're going to jump into John chapter 11 today, and we're going to throw it to Sally Jadlow as she reads the scripture for us. Good morning, Colonial. I'm Sally Jadlow. I've been going to Colonial for about 37 years, and I'm your new prayer deacon for Quivira for the next term. Our scripture this morning is uh, John 11, 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is to the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Good morning. You know, I remember standing in the grocery store. Um, I guess I had to be about eight years old. And I saw this snicker candy bar that seemed to be calling my name. I grabbed it and I turned to my dad who was, uh, has always taken care of me. Um, he's always provided for all of my needs. And I, I turned to my father, who has always been there for me, and I, and I said, Daddy, I really need this Snickers bar. And in anticipation of him agreeing to my plea, I began to place it on the counter. And my dad, to my surprise, said no. And took the candy, put it back on the shelf, And as I began to cry, he said, you'll learn this lesson as you grow up. 
But sometimes when you ask me something, um, I will say yes. Sometimes I'll say wait. But there are going to be sometimes, because I'm your father, in light of the big picture, I have to say no. It didn't stop me from wanting the candy, but I had to accept his answer. Why? Because he was my father. You know, sometimes in our life, uh, we may be asking God for something and he is continually, continually telling us no. The, the hurt is still there. The pain is still there. The sickness is still there. The relationship is still broken. The person is still ill. Um, our coworker is still getting on our nerves. The finances are still not what I expect. But even though we ask, God is still saying no. In our text today, we see a family that Jesus loves asking him to provide healing. And his answer was no. And he goes on to say, I'm glad I said no so that God will be glorified. I don't understand. Isn't God interested in our happiness? Yes, but he is more interested in our joy and he enters into our sorrow. Not so we can understand and be able to explain his reasoning, but because his ways are not our ways. And he knows it is his glory that is on the line and he exists to glorify himself. And as he glorifies himself, it works out for our good. And we are called to trust him. There are three lessons I want us to learn about this um, matter of trusting and glorifying God through this encounter, encounter today. First of all, when you follow Jesus, trouble may be part of the agenda. Go find your pen and pencil and write that down. When you follow Jesus, trouble may be a part of the agenda. John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The verse says that the word that was sent to Jesus was the one whom you love is ill. The one whom you love is sick. The word for love here is phileo. That's the I actually like you kind of love. <laughs> the brotherly love. Not, not a agapeo, which was agape, which is I don't like you, but I'm deciding to love you because of my faith and because of my savior. I love you unconditionally. Phileo is the love you describe when you have an affection, um, a true friendship towards someone. So when they make this request for Jesus to come, they are appealing to his deep friendship with Lazarus in expectation that there is no way he would not come and see about his friend. I mean, Jesus, he spent time with this family, dining with them in their home, um, spending quality time with them, yet they find themselves in a troubled situation. What does this teach us? It teaches us that being a believer does not exempt you from trouble. It may actually make you a prime candidate. Let me say that again. Being a believer does not exempt you from trouble. It may actually make you a prime candidate. You got to understand, so if Satan can cause enough mess to happen in your life, maybe you'll give up on God. And God may allow it to drive you closer to him because God's main priority is not to build your bank account. 
His main priority is to build your spiritual life. God is not so much concerned with making you successful as much as he is concerned about making you a disciple. We have to be careful that we don't allow our suffering to cause our attitudes to change about God. Remember, Jesus commends Mary for spending time at his feet while Martha was running around working in the kitchen. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, we have this story. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to come help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. He tells Martha that Mary chose the good part. Uh, She chose to spend time with her master while Martha was running ragged. You know, this kind of reminds me of the disciples on the boat with Jesus when the storm hit in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, said that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, talking about Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? When trouble hits, the human reaction is to panic and lose sight of the fact that we serve a God who is never caught off guard and never surprised. We serve a God who is not overwhelmed by the situation and never has to get a team together to come up with a solution. He is is in control for his glory. Now verse 20 of John chapter 11 tells us that when the news reached the house that Jesus had finally showed up, it was the busybody Martha that rushed to see Jesus. However, the worshiper, remember Mary, who was at his feet, said, I'll show him. He has the nerve to show up four days later. Mary initiates what I believe is the quiet treatment. Martha rushes down and Mary stays at the house. I hurt. Jesus, you're going to hurt too. Now that it seems the tide has turned, adversity has hit, worship has become a little harder to do. This is the one who would later in chapter 12 washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And I wonder if that was in response of her lack of faith in this scenario. But what we see here is the once radical worshiper is now lethargic and unresponsive. 
John chapter 11, verses 4 through 6 says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus is ill, wait a minute, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The Savior she trusted has let her down. The God that that made her feel so brand new has her now feeling like a second-class citizen. After sitting at your feet, you could not at least show up to see my brother off. You couldn't come to heal my sick brother after all I've shown you, after all the affection I've given you, all the time I've given you in worship. Jesus, this is the thanks I get. What you need to learn is the same God who saves you from your sins, that drives you to his feet to worship him with your tears, is the same God when you are sitting on the front row mourning the loss of your loved one. Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. That is, not in permanent death. Instead, Jesus would be glorified in this incident. And this statement is ironic because Jesus' power and his obedience to the Father is displayed in this scenario. But this event actually leads to his death. But it is in his death that he was truly glorified. What you have to understand is that the only way to experience resurrection is if something dies. If Jesus never died, we could not celebrate him rising from the dead. The old has to be put to rest. The unnecessary has to be removed. The dead weight has to be broken off. Broke off. That which in, in the way has to die. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted on every side. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. In order to see the great, the bad has to die. In order to see the blessing, the breaking has to happen. You don't get to the good part unless the breaking happens. And it reminds me of we went to a baseball game last year and someone in my family handed me a bag of peanuts. And the only problem is they were still in the shell. And I'm looking at this like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> at first glance, it's useless material. But something starts happening when you start that breaking process. Something starts happening when you start cracking the shell. The goodness of the inside begins to show and then you can enjoy the fruit of the breaking <laughs> Jesus is the resurrection 
But in order to experience the resurrection, you have to experience some death. You have to experience some brokenness. You have to experience some trouble. You have to experience some pain. But don't worry. Because after the breaking, you get to the goodness that's on the inside. That that has to come in order to experience new life. And God receives glory through our breaking. Because he sees the end result. And I want you to get this. We must learn to trust God for what will be even when we can't see past the reality of right now. Let me say that again. We must learn to trust God for what will be even when we can't see past the reality of right now. So what have we learned so far? First of all, we learned that when you follow Jesus, trouble may be a part of the agenda. Secondly, we want to learn this. When you walk with Jesus... Through darkness, remember, you walk with the light. John chapter 11, verse 7, it says this. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples say to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples say to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. (laughs) Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus gets word to go see about his friend and the disciples warn him, this is not a good idea, uh, Jesus. <laughs> what are you thinking? You understand? Remember back in John chapter 10, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus says, I and the father are one. In verse 31, it tells us the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I mean, from their perspective, this is blasphemy. Who does he think he is making making these claims? The Jews were trying to stone him. In verses 7 and 8 in John chapter 11 says, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Remember the call was from Bethany, and Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem in Judea. And Jesus says, let's go back to the region where I have a hit on my life. Why? Because Lazarus is asleep. Disciples are like, really? We're going back to the place where there's a hit on your life because Lazarus is asleep? Are you kidding me? Did you forget about the attempt to kill you? Should we not be concerned about the plot to do you in? By the way, do us in? That's what their concern was. John chapter 11 verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. Listen to this. Jesus reminds them that they are in the presence of the light. The presence of the light of the world and that their dark night-like attitudes were out of place. 
Their fear of the unknown shows they really didn't know who they were with. If you're walking with the light, why do you still have a negative, um, worrisome, nighttime mindset? Brighten up. You're with Jesus. You know, sometimes I'm talking to people and I want to just tell them, brighten up. You're with Jesus. I understand that trials come in life. And, and I've had to have moments where I was doubting myself, where I had to tell myself, brighten up. You're with Jesus. This is what David did in Psalms 103. You know, he talks to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's talking to himself. And sometimes you have to even encourage yourself. <sighs> then in John chapter 11, uh, verse 11, Jesus says, Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to awake him. And in verse 12, it says, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. This shows the disciples are trying to distract Jesus from his purpose and hopefully save their own life in the process. They say, if he's asleep, maybe he just needs to sleep whatever, whatever it is over. <laughs> maybe he just needs to sleep it off. Jesus... It's not that bad. Someone sleeping is not worth putting your life on the line. So Jesus, as he always does, has to make it plain. In verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died. He literally makes it clear. He, he spoke with boldness. Lazarus is dead. You know what? When I read this passage of scripture, if nothing, nothing else from reading about the journey of Jesus with his disciples, I am encouraged that if this bunch could be used by God, then I might have a chance. <laughs> they're forgetful, they're shallow, they're selfish, and sometimes just plain dumb. But they were there. And even when they failed, they were picked up and used by God. Jesus was wanting to teach them that when you are with Jesus, whatever you see is dark Whatever you see is no way out. Whatever you see is an impossible situation. These are actually the moments when God shines the most. God specializes in the impossible. There is truly nothing too hard for God. This is when the I can't explain it stuff happens. This is when the only God situations happened that Pastor Jim talked about last week. This is when God receives glory because no human reason can provide answers for what happened. This is when we have to live, not just talk to talk, not just walk to walk, but believe that when you walk with Jesus through darkness, we remember we walk with the light. And there is nothing impossible when you walk with the light. All right, so what have we learned so far? Let's look back. We, when you follow Jesus, trouble may be a part of the agenda. Secondly, when you uh, walk with Jesus through darkness, remember, you walk with the light. Thirdly and finally, when you have an opportunity to glorify God, trust the process. John chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, 
also that we may die with him. In such of a reality context of, of, of death, Jesus told his disciples that he was glad he had not been at the bedside of Lazarus because what was about to happen would greatly enhance their believing. He basically says, it doesn't make sense, but trust the process. Trust the Savior that you saw feed 5,000. Trust the Savior that you saw walk on water. Trust the Savior that you saw heal a blind man who was born blind. If you can't see the outcome, glorify God by trusting the process. We've been in the face of the impossible for, and God has come through. All Jesus is asking is you trust the process. Thomas, who Gerald Borchardt in the uh, New American uh, Commentary called the human realist, he voiced what all the disciples were probably thinking. Let's go die. Gerald also says, as with many people today, human problems crowd out the sense of the divine presence. And as a result, hopelessness can reign even in the company of God's people. Hmm. It's funny that even after Jesus' pep talk, even after Jesus' sermon, even after Jesus' encouragement, Thomas, in an attempt to sound noble and strong, makes a faithless statement and says, Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, there are many suggestions to why he's referenced as the twin. Some of the versions may say Didymus, which means twin. None of them are worth explaining. But the point is, the point that John is trying to make is that Jesus just said we are walking in the light, but doubt is hard to overcome. Thomas says, yeah, Jesus, I hear you. And then he turns to the others and said, let's go fail with Jesus. It's amazing that even in the very presence of God, in our human focus, hopelessness still reigns. Our focus on what man can or cannot do overpowers our view of what God is able to do. So we can be in church, we can be in worship service, have access to God, and still let faithless hope get in the way of our seeing that God is the God who resurrects. But at least in this case, his hopeless doubting, Thomas, is is met with courage to die. You know, I wouldn't have planned this sickness when you think it through. I wouldn't not have planned this pandemic when you think about it. I would not have planned this political unrest. But one thing I am sure that no matter what happens... God is still in control. Let me say that again. I couldn't have planned all of the situations that we are experiencing right now. But no matter what happens, I am assured of one thing. God is still in control. So this Tuesday, we will rally to the polls. Some people will stay in line for hours. When you finally reach the booth, you will be given a ballot. On that ballot will be names and and offices that are waiting for us to decide who we think will best serve in those offices. And later that night, we will wait to see who the majority voted for. And after we find out who was voted for, we will be informed that a person is named President of the United States. 
the highest office on the ballot is for president of the United States. I hope I hope you don't miss that. We are voting for president, not king of kings. We will be voting for president, not Lord of Lords. Last time I checked, there is no ballot for who will be my savior. <laughs> there is no ballot for who will be the alpha and omega. There is no ballot who is, uh, who is the lily of the valley. There is no ballot for who will be the bright and morning star. There is no ballot for who will be the prince of peace. We will be waiting all night to see the majority vote. I'm here to tell you today, Jesus doesn't need a majority vote because the scriptures tell me that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, not president, Lord, not governor, Lord, not senator, Lord, not congressman, Lord. So why should I worry about who is president as long as I serve the king of kings? Why should I worry about who is president as long as I serve the most high God, El Shaddai, the almighty God? I don't hope in people. I hope in God. I don't hope in elections. I hope in God. My mother would, my mother would say it like this with an old song. She'd say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. I'm here to tell you today, Biden did not die for my sins. Trump did not die for my sins. Trump wasn't bruised for my transgressions. Biden wasn't bruised for my transgressions. It's not by the stripes of the Senate that I am healed. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground, Democrats, all of the ground, Republican, all of the ground, politics, all of the ground, government is sinking sand. It is in God we trust. I live for his glory. I suffer for his glory. I sacrifice for his glory. I love my wife for his glory. I, I raise my kids for his glory. I may not understand all the ins and outs. I may not know the end from the beginning. But I trust God's process because I live for his glory. And I hope you would do the same. And the church said amen. Father, we just thank you for this message today. I pray, Lord, that something was said to encourage, um, to direct, Lord, someone to dig deeper into your word and to seek to build a stronger relationship with you so that no matter what happens, we know we rest in the arms of the one who is in control for his glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.